Welcome to Verbal Diary, the podcast, with your hosts, Cy Joblin and James Norton. Strap yourself in for the rants and bants. Evening. Evening. How do, son? Uh, how are you? I'm not too shabby. It's getting late, though. You know what I'm like when it gets late. Oh, are you feeling tired? A little bit. It's been a long, tiring day. If you need to have a little sleep during this recording, you just go ahead. I might just do that. <laughs> if, if you notice a Z key going all the way through the screen. <laughs> Dad joke. So, um, it's time for an update. Yeah, there's relative, a fair few updates of late, I guess. When was the last time we recorded? About three weeks ago? Oh, no, two weeks ago, I think. Okay. Um, so, tell us. How was the walk? Oh, you went straight in for the kill. Uh, the walk was tough, man. We we set off from London very early on, about 7.30. In fact, we left home about 3 a.m. to get to Milton Keynes for our bus to London and then start the walk at 7.30. So that was already tiring. Uh, it was difficult, let's say. Um, we got, basically got to the 56k mark after about 16 hours. It was just turning dark. The rain was starting to hit. And unfortunately, my wife had a terrible sciatic nerve problems in her leg. She was incapable of proceeding beyond that point. So uh, we had to call it for us and let the rest of the team continue. Um, still a huge achievement getting to 56k, quite frankly. Um, very hot. It was a hot day and some real challenging um, points as well. Like very steep hills to comprehend there was even a point where there was cattle heading towards us on a very small country lane there was a, there was a very pissed off farmer who came out and said your lot of us made my cows leave like, whoa our lot who are you talking about fella we've all got good intentions just to walk for charity here and <laughs> you know so yeah that was a, a fun part i guess but yeah we made about 56k um, made quite a lot of money as well, probably about 1,500 quid just between me and my wife. And then the whole team made about three and a half, four grand, I think, in total. So Very good. All very, very good. worthy cause. And the rest of the team took another 16 hours to finish the whole thing. So they were going for quite a while. Um, well, I mean, I'm proud of you despite what everyone says. Thanks, but, mate. Um, I'm not listening to what everyone else says. <laughs> it's probably for the best. No, well done. Thanks, dude. Uh, in, all, in all sincerity, I think, you know... Um, it's a shame that you didn't quite quite make it all the way, but uh, you did an amazing job. And next year, next year, definitely, we want to finish this. Um, and there's another challenge at the end of this month that we're considering as well you know, across the Cotswolds. Uh, what? Across the Cotswolds. What D- doing what? Across another the another Cotswolds? challenge, another walking challenge. Another walk. Yeah. How long is this one? Again, they've got. Um, sort of different levels so you can either go just 25k 50k 75 or 100 so we're going to do another 50k i think like a full day job um just to get ourselves back on track with that i think wow yeah that, we're not going to worry about doing that one for charity just do it for our own benefit i guess see if we are capable of doing it but yeah we'll see watch this space maybe next year will be needed i'll have to join you mm. 
That would be marvelous. For maybe the first for the... 200 meters. Yeah, that would be great just to set us off on our way. <laughs> be our pace setter. That's, that's right. Set you off at quite a pace. Cigarette in hand, just strolling alongside us. I think an occasion like that will demand a cigar. But. <laughs> so, what other updates have you got? You said there are a few updates. Uh, what else have we got going on? Trying to think. Oh, we've we've made another purchase as well. Ooh, Ooh we've upgraded our caravan. Ooh, I know. I'm so middle aged. I love it. <laughs> that wasn't what I was thinking. But um, so go on. Tell us about your caravan. Got a, we got a brand new caravan. Brand um, new. It's not brand new at all. It's about ten years old actually, but it's in good nick, very good condition, and much bigger. Double axle. Got um, remote control movers on the wheels. We've got Shower unit, six birth. I sound like I know what I'm talking about, really. Six birth? Six birth. Hang on. So I can fit. There's only four of you. There is, but there's potential for taking other people with us, like other kids, for example. Like the friends, the kids' friends. They've already asked their friends to come along without even checking with us. I was just wondering if I would allow my daughter to go into a strange family's caravan. (laughs) We know these people. They're, They're good friends. Still. <laughs> I know. It's a, it's a weird one. Why would you want to go in someone else's caravan for a weekend? Well, ha, have you have you done things in your new caravan? We went for a test drive for the weekend. We went down to um, Bicester Village, down the, in Oxfordshire. Just, just, just for a test drive, or did you stay overnight? We took you for a test drive, stopped overnight in a nearby campsite, um, just test it all out. And how was it? Very comfortable. Very easy to manoeuvre as well, even with another car parked directly opposite, which made it very difficult to reverse in. So, um, yeah, enjoying it. And now we've got to plan a load more weekends where we can make the most of it. We'll be going down to the Cornwall in August, two weeks, which will be lovely. Hopefully the weather will hold off for us. What's it like being in a caravan if it's pissing with rain? I I quite like it. I like the the, uh, pitter-patter of rain on the metal roof. Do they leak? No, 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 no. Well contained. They all work. Just make sure you shut the windows, obviously. Ooh, let's get a bit steamy inside. <laughs> We've got ventilation. It's all good. <laughs> well, since we since we last spoke, I've been on holiday. Ooh, where did you go then? I did not go anywhere in a caravan. Disappointing, James. Not for me. Where did you head? Greece. Ooh, very nice. It was. Land of good food it, and sunshine. It was very nice. So. Excellent. So what other news have you got? So you've you've done your walk, you've bought a caravan, I've been to yeah. Greece. Any other news? I can't think of any other news. Well, that's the end of the news then. Verbal Diary with Sian James. So yes, yeah, so we've, we've, we have got the new, the new theme music. In Excellent. use. Uh, our, our, it sounds fantastic. Our um, massive expenditure on Fiverr has paid off. I think so. Wise investment from both parts. Yep. So, what is it? It's time for Verbal Diary with Sian James. Verbal Diary with Sian James. James. See, we can nearly do it. I just noticed it looks like there's a very weird stain on my laptop. No, don't go that way. What's going, what's going on there? Bloody metal. You've got one of these fancy Mac things, haven't you? I have. 
don't know what it is about. I've got one of the, the new, the 2017. Is this a 2017 oh, you've got the Have you got the bullet grey one, whatever it is? Bullet? Is it bullet grey? Do you mean you space grey? Space grey, then. Yeah, let's go with that. What have you got, then? I've got a... It's just called a 2017. Um, okay. It's the 13-inch MacBook Pro with... Um, uh, with two Thunderbolt three port, two Thunderbolt three ports. That's what it's. Right. That's what it's called. Um, I'm reading it off the screen. It's it's the one without the touch bar. The oh, okay, before the shit one then. No, 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 no. There aren't. What was shit one? What, what, what? The, the touch bars. I'm, I'm hearing so many bad things about them. Oh, whatever. But um, <laughs> it's the one that um, Marco from uh, ATP likes to call the MacBook Escape. Because it's, Why did he call it that? because it's got a physical escape key. <laughs> oh, prior to the change, exactly. Well, this is post. This this is out the same time as the Touch Bar models. Uh, anyway, and uh, the point I was making, which really has nothing to do with which model it is, is bloody hell, they run hot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's why they created the Touch Bar, probably, so you can kind of stroke it cool. <laughs> Blimey. But the no, it's got this weird little stain on it, and it, it, I, I'm trying to remove the stain. Maybe it's not a stain. Ah, is that a stain? I don't know what that is. Are you sure it's not a touch bar with some weird graphic it, in the corner? I just noticed how hot it's running because the stain is quite near the top of the machine. That is really weird. I've got like, what is that? What is that? Please, please explain the color. I don't really want to. Smell, taste. Doesn't really smell of anything. I'm not going to eat my MacBook. <laughs> but there's like it's a, such a shame that would make like for entertainment. Green stains. I'm going to have to green. That helps. Give it a real clean later. Yeah, you've got one of these MacBook things, haven't you? I've got a MacBook Pro. Yeah, yeah. mine's not that new. Mine's early 2015. Yeah, still, they they haven't managed to fix the thing where when you close it, the imprint of the keyboard appears on the screen. <laughs> if you've noticed that. Because this, 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 they sit so close together that you've, you've I've opened noticed it up. it, to be honest, but now I'm going to. Damn. Oh, sorry, Damn if I actually you. just ruined your life. You've been to ruin my life ever. Yes. Well, while we're on the subject of Apple, let, should, should, we get into the, should we get into it? Oh, that's, yeah. Come on. Professional segues? Great segue. Was that a Great professional segue. segue or what? Super pro. It's, it's like I've been on local radio all my life. Um... Just like our introducer. Which which isn't quite true, because I haven't been on local radio for all my life. At all? I've never appeared on local radio. Have you ever appeared on local radio? I've been on national radio a few times. What have you done on national radio? Um, Normally phone-ins. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, what sort I've of been on Radio 1, probably. I think Radio 1 has been on three or four times in my, in my life. You've been on Radio 1 three or four times? Yeah. I remember back when I was... Uh, 19, going to university. I phoned Mark Goodyear on a Sunday morning on the way back. Wow. I know. Sad times, hey. Where did you go to uni? We were at Staffordshire University. Somewhere up north. Um, mighty Stoke Polytechnic. <laughs> was it a polytechnic? You originally was, yeah. And they converted it to uni. Yeah, well, they got rid of all the yes. polytechnics, didn't they? Just I think they tried to reclassify to make it more appealing. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> It worked for me. Anyway, uh, we, we seem to have gone off topic a little bit. Um, so what were we talking about? Apple or something? Yeah, well, it's been a bit of an auspicious week for for Apple because they've had their 
Worldwide Developer Conference, otherwise known as WWDC or DubDubDC or just DubDub. What was the highlight for you? I think it was bed last night, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> it was that riveting. <laughs> what was the highlight for you? Uh, did you actually watch know. any of it? I didn't watch anything. I was reading the um, reading the tweets okay. through throughout the evening. I can't say anything really stood out for me. I think, yeah, very limited appeal, quite frankly. I think there's quite a few good things. I mean, I'm really excited about the changes to Do Not Disturb. Um, the new What's use going of, on with that then? Well, you can... Um, uh, what can you do with it? You can force touch on the uh, Do Not Disturb icon in your control center and then say, do not disturb me for an hour or until I leave this location or until the end of my meeting. It's quite cool. There's a few other enhancements there. Yeah, and I like some of the new um, usage controls that you can say, oh, only let me use Twitter for an hour a day. Um, I like that, actually. That was a very good point. I've actually. just said I like, I like the fact to, to let me use it for 23 hours a day. Um, but no, I think the great thing is that they need that much Twitter in your life. That they're syncing all of these settings using iCloud, which I think is pretty good. I think some of the changes to Siri are interesting. Um, yeah, so I think I think there were a few good things. Nothing. I mean, I'm not like you know that excited. Dark mode on the Mac. I'll have that. Mm. The fact that you've actually got a web browser on the watch as well. I know you it's can't not a do full much web browser. And to be honest with you, the only thing you can see is GDPR privacy notices. <laughs> <laughs> all the cookie warnings. And... Yeah, so I'm not, I'm not convinced. But I actually think that's quite a bad move. Yeah, I just like the potential it's got there. I know it's going to be shit for at least a year, but until it actually gets some proper use cases that I make it worthwhile. Why would you ever want to browse the web on your watch? It's this you won't browse, but the fact that you can actually get web changes out. Yeah, not 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 massive number of highlights this year. Um, nothing terrible. It's not bad, but... It's fine. Stability, performance, I'm, I'm up for some of that, Apple, so well done. But I guess I guess yeah. this is what... But didn't they mention something as well about the fact they're not going to be supporting devices older than five years now as well? So any sort of Macs over since 2012 or something won't get the new version of Mac OS? Yeah, but that's, just, that's, that's not a policy that it's five years. It's just this version of... Uh, well, the next version of Mac OS. It's yeah. support only goes back to 2012. Um, mm. what's more interesting is they're supporting all the same devices in iOS 12 that they're supporting in iOS 11, which I believe is the same set of devices they support for iOS 10. I think, yeah, and that, that That's makes amazing. sense. And if it can That's amazing. sustain that performance improvement as well, then great, because people don't want to buy a new device to get a faster version straight away. But the but, but this this whole little discussion that we're having, which has descended into quite a lot of madness, this whole little discussion mm-hmm. we're having is, all the, is, is, is what I wanted to sort of discuss, because... There were a lot of rumours before the event, I think they panned out to be true, that Apple were kind of slowing down, maybe. Is it, maybe that's the wrong way to put it. Um, but they were going to focus more on performance, bug fixes, things like that, rather than constantly providing new features. I mean, famously, or, or, or not, if you don't know about this stuff, um, they announced various features um, in uh, June of 2017 uh, for iOS 11 that only shipped in May of 2018. So... Um, that's quite unusual for Apple, but yeah, there were a few features, and 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 so maybe it's time to slow down. iOS 11, a lot of people thought was quite buggy. I had massive issues myself. I had enough issues that it was annoying, but um, uh, it was not quite as bad as some. And yeah, I mean, you, know, you run a, an engineering team, and 
I wanted to get your view on what does it mean to slow down? Is it, is it a real thing? And, and how do you balance the need for quality with the need for actually giving the customer something useful? I mean, we run where we work and sort of an annual cadence like Apple, yeah, because we, we, we have to hit a, a particular period each year with a set of features. And if we don't get there in time, they don't go. Um, mm. So, it, yeah, I was interested in your views in, in, on, on trying to balance the need for stability, performance, bug fixes, and new features and, uh, and all of that sort of stuff, given your position as running a team. Yeah, it's, it is... It's quite a hot topic for us as well at the moment because we are, like you say, we work in a place that strives for customer demands, meeting those expectations quite regularly, quite rigorously as well. Um, and we do have seasons that we tend to work towards, kind of go, we need to hit that deadline, we need to hit that deadline. Nine times out of ten, they're probably not necessarily the deadline, just sort of a goal. But that's just my, the semantics for me, sort of, it, it, it changes the, the vision of what the team's trying to deliver. But we are basically trying to ship stupid amount of features every quarter, every year, however you want to break it down, per month or whatever. Um, and by doing that, we are neglecting the quality of what we're shipping sometimes or focusing on, you know, we, we've, we've had some projects recently where we said we need to hit that deadline. What can we strip out to hit that deadline? And the teams are just going, nothing. It's like, well, are there any features we can sort of add later in a proper agile way if you want to go down that route as well um and there were, there were some options but that we have found that the tech debt is just accruing over time it's not getting dealt with um and trying to introduce um a way of allowing us to focus on performance and tech debt and all the other sort of bits that the team want to work on as well rather than the customer driven stuff or the business driven stuff it's very difficult to please all the stakeholders as well. So we, we're we exploring different ways of doing it at the moment. Um, I think some companies talk about this sort of 20% of your capacity should be focused on quality um, rather than customer features or business features. And it's it's a nice idea because as long as we can sort of measure how much time we are spending these things and how much work we aren't working against as well so it's, you know we can see over x amount of months we've increased our tech debt from you know 15 items to 50 items why is none of that getting done how much of that how much work has been done in that time on those things as well we can with visualization tools and you know all the sort of kanban or agile tools in the box you can see that quite easily we're quite lucky now that you know the 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 leadership team and where we are really want to focus on quality as well as new features. So they're trying to manage expectations again with the business beyond our remit on how we can manage that as well. But it's a very difficult one to get right. And it's like you go back to Apple. They always have this desire. We need to ship something shiny, something funky, something cool for the, the, the customers to want to buy because otherwise we might lose that market share to Google or whoever else is competing with them. In reality, you're not going to get that with Apple. You've got Apple fanboys. You've got Apple audiences that will just buy the new things, whatever they are. We've seen that with iPhone X. Does it really enlighten your life any more than just an iPhone 8? I don't think it does personally, but the enough people buy it to prove that it doesn't matter. 
you know so when they've come to this round of improvements what are they focusing on small tweaks oh look you can do your me emoji now rather than just an emoji fucking hell, i don't care about any of that but clearly the audience the customers do when are they dealing with the performance stuff though i feel that i think they've tried to deal with that in this year by the look of the rings you, you mentioned the performance improvements across macOS, ios watch us i guess as well i don't i've not seen the details around this but they've clearly taken a stance going we've got performance problems guys we're shipping bugs how do we stop that rather than focusing on the shiny new shit that some people like but mostly can do without quite frankly let's focus on quality again because that's what you know jobs would have done in his day it'd have been focused on it's not ready yet it's not ready yet it wouldn't go live until it was ready but they've got into some awful cadence going, we need to get some ships in the next six months or the next year. Something new's got to come out. I don't know how they're going to deal with it, quite frankly. And I think it'd be interesting to see what the the, the trolls might say about this as well. You know, I've, I've not seen the news or the sort of the feedback generally since Monday night. It was just a typical Twitter comments going, oh, 10,000 requests per second. What's that for Siri trying to get my question, right? Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> I read one. It was a series handled ten billion requests. Five billion were the requests. Three billion were you people repeating the same request because Siri got it wrong, and two billion were people swearing at Siri or something. There like it that. is. Um, so, are they shipping tools and products that are crap and renowned to be crap when they could be actually getting it right? I know it's good to ship things early, but at the same time, you need to focus on getting some stuff done well as well. So, how do you get? your teams, development teams, to go quicker. But what, what can people do? And this isn't just about Apple, but I think, I think there's been a perception that Apple have slowed down a little bit. Um, and I think it's fair to say that this year is a bit of a consolidation year for them. Um, and, and the quality just needs to go up. Um, and I think, I, I think they're going to deliver. But, the, but then, then it, I, I'm left wondering, what, what is it that makes development teams slow like how do you get more out of the limited set of resources and i know you don't like the word resources but i'm just going to use it um it's, it's true it's what's so used apology yeah. to all those resources out there um but i'm calling you resources you know who you are. um <laughs> quite so um h- how do you get your resources how do you get more out of your resources how do you get people to go faster, get people to be more efficient. Because what we don't want, I, I don't think we want a culture, and, and our business where we work, we definitely aren't into a culture of people working longer. Um, what we want is people working smarter, people getting more out of the time they do spend at work. And, and so I, I'm kind of curious, in your view, from your position, what can we do to get people, to, to, to enable people to do more during the time they've got? Good question, to be honest. I don't think anyone's found the solution to this. This is why most software engineering companies struggle to get more and out of their teams. There's often the argument, throw more people at it. Generally doesn't work. It sometimes does, don't get me wrong. And it depends on the kind of people you bring in. And It might be those. I think for me, what I've realized over time is some teams become quite comfortable on um, a product that they work on. So you, you'll get one team that's focused on one certain part of the certain component or one app. Um, and it's great because they, they own it and they become so passionate about making sure that works really well. But once once they got past that first initial, wow, look at what we've done, I feel like they sort of take their foot off the pedal a little bit 
because they want to be more cautious and careful. They don't want to introduce any further problems. They've realized their errors are the ways from the early stages. So they do slow down to make sure that they are shipping good quality things. So, but I do see the excitement and the buzz of a brand new thing to work on. That's when you do get quite a lot from engineers. Not always the best quality, but they do rattle through things quite quickly. And, you know, you can see that enthusiasm and the motivation to get it out there. Especially when you, I mean, we've recently been through a big project that's been deadline driven. We had to hit that deadline. There was no questions around it. Um, and there was a certain buzz around those guys delivering for those deadlines as well. We knew we had to hit it, and they, they were pulling out all the stops to do that. We did compromise a little bit on quality. And again, we go back to, you know, how do you deal with that tech debt that you sort of parked or, you know, some of the performance problems you might have introduced? How do we get around that later? That's the stuff we're trying to pick up now, and they are slowing down while they do that. So I I think it's a weird paradigm shift and mentally with the, the engineers. They, they kind of, they, they, are, they have that initial excitement to build something brand new and you know really valuable to the customer or to the business or to themselves even you know because they can understand where it's coming from once it goes into maintenance mode foot off the pedal you know because you can't sustain that level of energy for a long time you know a long a long time frame it's something that no one no human is capable of doing it, you, you'll see burnout you'll see lack of commitment lack of interest and they just sort of phase away from it, I think. So in answer to your question, how do we get more out of people? I genuinely think rotation is a good thing. So not making sure that people are on the same product all the time. You know, they, they try something fresh, try a new perspective, try something completely different if you have to. And But then on the consequences of that, you often see people leave um, because they are sort of bored they're not being challenged enough and i know in tech is there's a lot of churn especially in london people just get that two-year itch and go you know what i've i'm i've exhausted all my options here i'm trying i want to find something new something different not necessarily better but different it, and it is a common problem i mean you know we can go off on the recruitment side of things maybe another time but it that enthusiasm that energy it's not sustainable. We need to make sure that, you know, as a line manager myself as well, I recognise those sort of characteristics or sort of emotions that you or whatever it is, and try to tap into it sooner, because it's quite easy to just go, ah, they'll be fine, or yeah, well, there's not much I can do about that. That for me is just disengagement. It's not good, and you're not going to get anything from anyone if you do that. I I, I need to be more tuned into who I'm working with, make sure the team are getting the most out of their day job, getting the best out of them. If not, why not? And I often ask that question in a one-to-one. Everything all right? They actually naturally go, yeah, not bad. It's just a typical British response. And then <laughs> I say, so, uh, you know, that situation a couple of days ago when whatever happened, it, normally something that was a bit of, you know, difficult moment or we didn't we made a mistake or they did something really well it doesn't really matter but i want to kind of draw on that and go how does that make you feel you know oh well you know it was all right but, yeah, but when they challenge you on this what how does that make you feel i'm happy about it what did you do to do about it and i think i like to kind of tap into people's emotions a little bit more and sort of work out what makes them kick because otherwise 
it's dangerous. I know, I know it's quite a risky move sometimes, but I want to understand the people more than the resources that you talk call about. But do you think that that enables you to get more out of them? And so, so, so you understand people a little bit better. You talk about rotations in there, and I, I'm not, yeah, you know, I'm I'm fifty fifty on that to be honest, because. I think it's a nice idea, but then you've got ramp up time and all that sort of business to take into account. Um, and then the other aspect that you mentioned was a few times was quality. So, how do you know that you've got the right amount of quality? Like, how, how can you how can you measure this? Is there a way to measure? Maybe there isn't. Depends on the kind of quality you're looking at. Oh, oh, brilliant, brilliant answer. We should just leave it there. The end. Now go on. So it depends what sort of quality you were saying. Yeah, I mean, if you're talking about performance and stuff like that, they they are numbers that you can actually measure. You can say, well, how long does it take for the app to load to initiate to get the first screen to get an interaction response? These are things that you can measure. You can improve or try to improve. Um, you might not. You might. Keep, as I said today, we we've, we've had a situation where we thought we were getting a, a, a performance improvement from an update. Turns out it completely slowed down the app, so we had to roll back. It was the, the quickest, easiest solution, um, and now we have to explore why. But so that's one easy metric you can kind of go. Well, we want to increase the speed page load by ten percent, twenty percent, whatever it is. If you're talking about user experience, though, you need to get proper user data to kind of substantiate that. Are you, are your customers still engaged when you introduce this new feature? Are they interacting with it? Is it making them happier? Are they actually converting in, in other ways, whatever your metrics are? Again, you can get numbers off that, but they're a lot more difficult to pinpoint. And that takes a lot more investment from the business and the teams to get that back as well. You know, I've, I've, got, I've got a history of working in MVT and A-B testing, or for people that aren't aware of the, the jargon, it's basically if you present two different um, user experiences, you can say, well, I believe if I introduce this um, experience, it will increase engagement on this button, for example, or this order, or whatever it might be. And then we keep our control as, as uh, variation A to compare the two. That's a really easy way to kind of measure quality and engagement. Okay. But not many people are doing this. And this is another thing we need to try and introduce generally across tech, I think. I mean, that's... That's very interesting, but it doesn't necessarily, not all of that stuff actually impacts on how much a, an individual can do. So, yeah, no. you, you know, you have to build a solution to measure a lot of the, the sorts of things you're talking about. But, but, yeah. but what, what, what about like code quality? How, how much time are we spending, do you think, on code quality? And is all of that time actually well used? Contentious point for me. Um, yeah, so if you talk about test coverage, unit tests, automation, functional tests, we as a team spend a lot of time focusing on this um, because we believe it introduces higher quality solutions. And probably 90% of the time it's correct. However, what I do see a lot of engineering teams make the mistake of is, oh, it'll take me a couple of days to build that. Cool. So a couple of days go past, going, hey, getting on. Nearly there, just need to finish the test coverage. Okay, it's going to be done today, tomorrow. Some early indication, just to know how long it's going to take. I'll be finished by the end of the day, next day. Hey, getting on. Still need to finish my test coverage. 
Okay, right, let's make sure we get this right then, because it sounds like it's not as straightforward. We go into production, still get bugs. Not, well, what's your test coverage actually covering? And it cost us effectively twice the amount of time we originally estimated. I know it's just an estimate, but at the same time, you know, we made a sort of a guide as to when this thing's going to be done. It took X amount of days more, which cost us as a team and a business that amount of money. For what return? We actually introduced a few more bugs out of doing that. So effectively, we've lost a lot of investment there as well. I, I don't completely fault the idea of test coverage and unit tests, but I do question the value of it sometimes and where, how much it needs to be done as well. What's your point in this, though? Because we've got slightly different backgrounds on this as well. I'm, I'm trying to differentiate between test, yeah, writing automated tests as a good thing, or maybe not, and are we writing the, the correct automated tests? So, in your view, are we, which, which, one, which one have we got going on here? What, what's, what's going on in all this? Is it that people are correct to want to automate their testing but perhaps aren't writing the correct tests or would you go so far as to question the value of automated tests in terms of this this tension between quality and time to deliver uh i do question it and i we, we, we've recently sort of with it with our retros and sort of you know ways of working which is your favorite buzzword um i know i'd like to get that in there there's only um, one way of working. Is that your way? It's bloody hard, son. <laughs> ah, that, that'll do. Graft. Um, we we sort of introduced this idea of what testing needs to be done to deliver a story, rather than just going, yeah, we're going to test all the things, we're going to write all the unit tests, we're going to do all the automation. We don't necessarily need to do that every time. And it, I, I, I always like to challenge the team to say, are you happy with this test coverage? Is this going to hold us back? How long? Is it worth holding us back that long? Or have you got enough test coverage? Do we need to hold back a little bit more because this is such a sensitive part of what we're building? We need to make sure we're doing some automation testing or more explorative testing as well because that's, with a shift to automation and you know getting the computers to do it all for us, we're sort of letting go of that responsibility as humans to really test this ourselves. And I don't fully trust computers to do that for us sometimes. I know a few other QA engineers that think similarly. They're going, you know, we can't automate everything. That's probably 50% of what we should be doing, quite frankly. I don't think you can write the wrong unit tests. I think you can get bogged down by writing too many unit tests. You know, when you hit this benchmark of we've got to have 85% coverage or 95% coverage or even 100% in the golden. Is it worth going beyond 85? I think this, we as a team have settled on 85% coverage because we know that we're not going to cover all scenarios. But are we letting things through the net a little bit by doing that? Yeah, you're covering the right just... 85%. Exactly. You know, are you testing the functionality or your code? Because when you, when you hear them saying, that, oh, I've got to finish my test coverage on this functionality, then they're not doing true TDD. So, so you're writing a whole bunch of automated tests, not just unit tests, but all sorts of yeah. tests. And you're still shipping bugs into production. So what's what does that mean? It makes me question: Are we doing the right automation tests, functional tests, unit tests? 
of the, you know, the whole test coverage triangle, test pyramid, sorry. Um, I don't know. I'm not saying it's a waste of time. I'm just saying, is it a real valuable use of time when we could be doing more explorative testing, user testing, real world testing? <laughs> because for, for me, TDD is a way of developing something, not testing it. It's it's a way of thinking, are you building the right thing first? Don't rely on that. I tend to agree. I think unit tests are there to help you design your code. And the fact that you get some sort of regression test suite out of it is incidental. Yeah. Um, whereas functional tests, end-to-end tests, are there primarily to um, test the system. Sanitize check it, though, for me. It's, it's sort of it's doing what I expect it to do. And let me know if it doesn't. Yeah. Especially for front-end. Is there value in unit tests if you have decent functional tests? I don't know. I, I don't come from a testing background. This is the thing. It's my massive asterisk over this discussion. I come from a front-end development background where I didn't really do much unit tests, and it was a QA's responsibility to focus on this stuff. Now we're going to this grey area that all engineers do all of it which, again, could be discussed in great depth with someone that actually knows what they're talking about. <laughs> but I don't, I, I, you know, I don't know. I think we just need to ask that question a lot more. Like, is, what is the value of doing all this test coverage? Do, do we need to do it? Or do you just want to be a really thorough QA engineer in all your disciplines to kind of and I, I, go beyond your team? This is the other thing. It's always based on one team's delivery to focus on that delivery. Get real users in. You know, ship it early. Get other teams to work on this with you as well. Okay. So, coming back to our root question here. Mm-hmm. would Do you think we'd get more out of the resources without such a focus on automated testing? I think we might create more problems. That's the other thing. You know, what do you mean by problems? Well, you you you'll introduce more more bugs, potentially okay. more performance issues, more user issues. You know, I I don't know. I've, has anyone solved this properly? So I believe there are some metrics out there. Okay, what have you found? Nothing, but I believe there are some <laughs> metrics out there. Is are there any big sort of tech organizations that are trying to deal with this as well? I don't know of any. Mm. I mean, we're not even a tech giant where we work, but we're trying to be, I guess. The scale we're working at, there's definitely 50-odd engineering teams, I guess. Exactly. You know, we're not, I don't think we've got it right yet. So I'm just I've literally just opened up a, an article on um uh, an article a uh, a question on Stack Overflow. Okay. The question is oh, I've just closed it as well which is useful. The question is is there hard evidence of the return on, on investment of unit testing? Okay. So um what's the top voted answer? <laughs> I don't know what the top voted is but this answer that I'm on says um Essentially, yes. Um, but I, I think we're going to set ourselves some homework. 
Oh, really? Yep. You'd like a bit of homework. Let me rephrase the, what I just said. I'm setting you some homework. Thanks. So next time we uh, record an episode of Verbal Diary with Simon James, um, you're going to summarise the arguments. Oh, wow. Excellent. <laughs> so I'm going to do a pros and cons of... So, no, this, this will be our homework. Um, so I, I, I've actually got a bunch of links, which are all about... Um, uh, it, it, people who have researched the uh, pros and cons of automated testing. So I will share those with you. I have not shared them with you. And we're both going to read them. Neither of us will understand them. And then we will discuss them in depth on the next episode. Sounds like a plan, Stan. How does that sound to you? I think it would do most, both of us some good to look into this, actually. And, and, and maybe... One of the things that I'm, I'm sort of curious about, you know, I'll ask a question, how do you get more out of the resources you've got? But I think there's a... It's, it's, another question is for you. Is, are you able to quantify what resources you don't have that might help? So you're asking, can I work out who I need to make us deliver more? Not just people. Tools. People, tools... You know, do you need a better, I don't know, faster internet connection? I, I don't even know what it is. But but do you, do you have any sort of, like, have you ever um, thought about this and do you have an answer? I mean, I'm going to be talking based on experience, so I'll be careful what I say, obviously. But I do find one of the biggest challenges we always have as a front-end team is integration. With third-party APIs, dependencies, whatever it might be. Having to do that, I know it's quite common, but it often yields the most problems. You know, we go into a retro after a delivery, highlight what went well, what didn't go well. Always, every time we do a retro, it's down to the third-party dependencies that slow us down a delivering. I am quite strong in thinking that, you know, we need to get rid of these dependencies and just have a full stack team to deliver a full stack feature team that own the full solution, not with all these dependencies. That is generally, you know, when I pick up a project and, you know, the, the, the program manager or platform leader, whatever they say, you call them nowadays, say, can you do me a dependency mapping of this um, delivery? What? Why? Why? So I can highlight the risks that we know are going to happen. Why are we even introducing these risks in the first place? How can we minimise those risks? I think it just comes down to organisation. It's generally the hardest part to get right because we have to have these sort of pillars or silos, whatever you call them, generally at scale, scaled companies. But it just it does often introduce the bigger slowdown. So I, I genuinely believe that is one of the first things we need to solve. I don't know how. Cause like you say, you've got if you've got budget for a certain platform or whatever it might be. It's, you can't do that. You can't merge the two. It's, it's not that straightforward. So that that is one element, one factor that I have recognised quite a few times so, in the last year or so. So we, we can put into the future bucket of topics full stack versus non-full stack. And you know, I'm just Ooh. conscious that um, we may have a non-technical listener, so we'll probably have to start explaining what some of this means. Um, yeah. But, the, um, but kind of what I'm hearing from you is that it's not 
it's not really a tool or a resource or something like that that would perhaps help you to feel at least feel like you're going faster, but it's a little bit more control over your destiny, over over all of the parts that are changing in yeah. the system. I think it it goes down, yeah. It is organisation and control. A bit more even it doesn't have to be control, it's just sort of opportunity to have better control. I'm not saying I, as an individual, want to control the whole thing. I just want to make sure that we are engaging and making some better decisions earlier on rather than allowing others to make decisions for us with limited understanding and knowledge of what's going to happen. So I'll talk about that, this dependency mapping. You know, well, if, you have to, if we have to do that, we've got a fundamental flaw already. Why do we have to? We shouldn't have to introduce a, that risk so early on as a known unknown, let's just get rid of those straight away. But you, we don't have that luxury, that's the thing, you know. I don't know where I'm going to go with this. I'm just sort of rambling, which is what I do well. Okay, well, I mean, I think you've given us some really good food for thought there. But I, th- I, th- I think we've sort of probably said enough for this episode because I kind of feel like you know, there's been some big concepts talked about and and maybe we need to revisit some of this. I'm also highly aware that this is a far more boring episode than the last few. Sorry, not boring. Oh. I'm also highly aware that this is a far more serious episode than the serious last one is a or two. Word. I think just to summarise, there, there is no silver bullet with this at all. Um, there, there are a lot of challenges and problems that most of the industry needs to deal with, especially when you're talking about scalable sort of delivery. Yeah. And we should probably bring it up again in the future and see if we've come up with any better options. As people who used to do tech, but obviously don't now. Um, Clearly. We come at this from a perhaps a slightly different angle to some, and that's why I'm really particularly keen on your view, because you've seen both the developer and the, the manager side of, of all of this stuff. So mm-hmm. um, I think it's really interesting to get your insight. But let, let's, um, let's leave it there. Next time, we'll do our homework. We will do our homework and on we're gonna the come value back. of test coverage. And, and maybe, uh, maybe even, you know, um, have, a, have a bit more of a robust debate on that once, once we've read through the articles that we've got on that. Verbal Diary with Sian James. So, yeah, so if people want to follow us. Oh, you're going straight into that one, are you? We're not doing any dad jokes. No, I don't, I don't think we're doing that. Are we doing that? You tell a dad joke. A policeman just stopped me and asked me to step out of the car. You're staggering, he said. You're not so bad yourself, I replied. <laughs> oh, dear. I bought a massive fish from the fishmonger today. When I got home, I found out that all its insides were missing. Gutted. <laughs> uh, are we done? I think we're done. Should we do the, the Twitters? T- tell, tell us everything. Go on then, if you guys have got better dad jokes than we have, which I'm hoping you have, you can tweet us at Verbal Diary Show, or you can do us individually at Sci and at Nortals. We're on the Facebooks with Verbal Diary Show and Google Plus, Verbal Diary Show. Also available to listen on iTunes and all your favourite podcast catchers, or whatever you want to call them. Get in touch, guys, and tell us how uh, some proper dad jokes and what you think about you know, quality as well. I think that's time for the uh, music. Hit it, Maestro.